welcome to Sojourner Truth. Thank you for staying with us. This is your host, Margaret Prescott. Gavin Newsom handily beat Trumpster Larry Elder in the California gubernatorial recall election. What are the lessons learned? What are the broader implications? Bill Gallegos joins us to break this all down. Tax hike and GOP resistance to President Biden's caring economy agenda as reflected in his Build Back Better plan. A bill is now under consideration in the House. What are the numbers? How are Democrats proposing to pay for this legislation? Who is objecting and why? And does the inflation argument against Build Back Better hold water? Our guest is Chuck Collins, senior scholar at the Institute for Policy Studies. And the movement for a universal guaranteed income grows. What has been the history of this demand? Where do basic income programs stand now? How is California leading the way? How is the Cash for People movement organizing itself? We speak with John Ma with Ground Game LA and our weekly Earth Minute. We live in a global world. We're all interrelated. So on Sojourner Truth, we work to bring directly to you news and views on local, national, and international policies and stories that affect us all. And we draw out how those of us most impacted, women, communities of color, and other communities are responding. We also discuss the interrelationship between art and politics. Now for our news headlines. For Pacifica Radio, I'm Eileen Alfandari. California Governor Gavin Newsom has crushed the Republican recall effort. At last count, nearly 64% voted no, just over 36% yes. Newsom said the vote was an endorsement of economic, social, racial, and environmental justice. We said yes to science. We said yes to vaccines. We said yes to ending this pandemic. We said yes to people's right to vote without fear of fake fraud or voter suppression. We said yes to women's fundamental constitutional right to decide for herself what she does with her body, her fate and future. If Newsom had been recalled, conservative Republican talk show host Larry Elder most certainly would have replaced him. Elder conceded the race but said the campaign forced Democrats to pay attention to the problems of homelessness, schools, wildfires and energy policy. Environmental extremists, they have had a stranglehold over Gavin Newsom and have had a stranglehold over Sacramento. We're going to turn that around. They're going to have to pay attention to that now. They weren't going to before, but now because of us, because of you, they're going to have to pay attention to that. So we, so we have lost a battle, but we are absolutely going to win the war. Absolutely. Notably, Elder did not claim the election was rigged, a claim he might have made had the results been close. North and South Korea tested ballistic missiles hours apart in a display of military capabilities that is sure to exacerbate tensions in the region. The North tested two short-range ballistic missiles. Experts said the launches are an effort to apply pressure on the U.S. installed nuclear talks. South Korea's presidential office said the country conducted its first submarine-launched ballistic missile test. Observers said South Korean President Moon Jae-in's government may have been responding to criticism that it's too soft on the North. 
The Justice Department has asked a federal court in Texas to stop enforcement of the new state law that bans most abortions in the state while it decides the case. The Texas law, known as SB8, prohibits abortions once medical professionals can detect cardiac activity, usually around six weeks before many people know they're pregnant. Arizona's Attorney General Mark Brnovich has filed the first lawsuit to block President Biden's new vaccine requirements that could affect 100 million workers. Brnovich is running in a crowded Republican primary for U.S. Senate. He calls the mandate a power grab and claims Biden is illegally treating U.S. citizens and legal immigrants differently from undocumented immigrants who are apprehended crossing the border. They're offered vaccines but not required to accept them. Paul Bender, a constitutional law professor at Arizona State University, called the lawsuit worse than nonsensical. He said it's really laughable. But picking fights with the Biden administration could help Brnovich as he faces well-funded opponents in a tough primary to challenge Democratic Senator Mark Kelly, one of the GOP's top targets in 2022. The Department of Labor has not yet issued Biden's rules for them to be directly challenged in court. Senate Democrats unveiled a pared-back voting rights bill in hopes of kick-starting their stalled push to counteract new voter suppression laws in Republican-controlled states. The new legislation includes a number of changes sought by West Virginia Senator Joe Manchin. They include provisions that would limit but not prohibit state voter ID requirements, as well as the elimination of a proposed overhaul of the Federal Elections Commission. The new measure also dumps language that would have created a public financing system for federal elections. Manchin called the new bill more practical and reasonable and said now Democrats will have to sit down and work with their Republican colleagues. The major question is whether Manchin and other Democrats will budge on their stated resistance to altering Senate filibuster rules. Without such a change, the new legislation is unlikely to win Senate approval. At a voting rights rally, activist Andrea Waters King, the daughter-in-law of assassinated civil rights leader Martin Luther King Jr., said the Senate needs to take action. The filibuster, a relic of white supremacy itself, is not untouchable. We cannot surrender the right to vote to a procedural roadblock. Congress must do everything to pass the Freedom to Vote Act. Anything short of that will be a disservice to the men and women who gave their lives for their cause decades ago. The revised legislation would establish national rules for running elections, including a minimum of 15 consecutive days of early voting, including two weekends, all voters could request to vote by mail. New automatic voter registration programs would be set up. I'm Eileen Alfandiri for Pacifica Radio. And this is Margaret Prescott, host of Sojourner Truth. On Sunday, September 12th, the House Ways and Means Committee released its plan to pay for President Joe Biden's Build Back Better program, which has been under heavy scrutiny by the GOP and is underway in Congress. Senator Joe Manchin, a right-leaning Democrat from West Virginia, reiterated his call on Sunday for a halt to the $3.5 trillion budget resolution, while Senator Bernie Sanders of Vermont doubled down on the need to pass both the bipartisan infrastructure and budget reconciliation bills. Republicans have been railing against Biden's Build Back Better program over what they describe as 
rising inflation. Democrats, on the other hand, have described this proposal as an important step towards implementing a fair tax system for all living in the United States. However, some have pointed out that the House Democratic proposal does not go far enough to raise revenue or reduce extreme wealth inequality. Let's go to a clip now from Bloomberg because President uh, Biden has uh, traveled to several states uh, promoting his economic agenda. Biden says economic agenda would advance clean energy jobs. President Joe Biden urged lawmakers to support his economic agenda, saying it would combat climate change and create high-paying jobs by accelerating development of clean energy. We have to pick up the pace, Biden said Tuesday during a visit to the National Renewable Energy Laboratory in Arvada, Colorado. We don't have a lot of time. The visit to the research facility capped Biden's first presidential trip to the western U.S., where he held events to generate support for his economic agenda by pointing to the region's increasingly devastating wildfires and persistent drought. The trip comes as congressional Democrats, who narrowly control the House and Senate, are engaged in high-stakes negotiations over a $3.5 trillion tax and spending plan that encompasses much of Biden's agenda, including expanding social programs and addressing climate change. Biden said his separate infrastructure bill, which has passed the Senate and is awaiting a final vote in the House, would help the U.S. withstand increasingly severe weather. We're going to provide support to make our communities, including tribal nations, much more resilient to the impacts of climate change, Biden said. Earlier this week, House Democrats released a new package of tax increases hitting corporations and the wealthiest Americans to partially offset Biden's spending proposals. The plan would raise $2.1 trillion over 10 years by increasing the top corporate tax rate from 21% to 26.5% and the top rate on capital gains would rise from 20% to 25%. The increases are less than originally sought by the White House, a bid to hold the support of moderate and business-minded Democrats from swing districts. But leaders still face a difficult task holding ranks, with sharp differences among House Democrats over a drug pricing overhaul and Senate Democrats signaling deep divisions over the effort's overall cost. Republicans have objected to the amount of spending championed by the president, and have said increasing taxes on businesses would hurt the economy. Alrighty, and by the way, for those of you who are anxious to hear some analysis on the California governor's recall election, uh, stay tuned because Bill Gallegos will be joining us later in the hour for that. Uh, right now, though, we are focused on something that's going to... Um, hit the pocketbooks of a lot of folks and it's going to be whether it's going to be the wealthy or super wealthy or whether it'll be people like you and I. I'd like to welcome uh, Chuck Collins, a senior scholar at the Institute for Policy Studies. He directs the Institute's programs on inequality and the common good and co-edits inequality.org. He's the author of the books, Is Inequality in America Irreversible? and born on third base. A one percenter makes the case for tackling inequality, bringing wealth home, and committing to the common good. He is co-author with Bill Gates Sr. of Wealth and Our Commonwealth, a case for taxing inherited fortunes, and with Mary Wright, The Moral Measure of the Economy, a book about Christian ethics and economic life. His new book is The Wealth Orders, how billionaires pay millions to hide trillions. Okay, Chuck Collins, thank you so much for joining us. 
Hey, Margaret. Thank you. Good morning. Uh, yes. Okay. Good morning, uh, Chuck. Now, um, much has been made of the what Biden describes as a care economy, and even in his infrastructure uh, plan, infrastructure generally people think of roads, bridges, etc. But President Biden is also talking about the care of people. Uh, you know, and. Uh, first of all, caregivers, but also low-wage workers, and much more, as well as the environment. So there's a lot of pushback. Senator Joe Manchin has said um, of the $3.5 trillion budget resolution that there's no way he's going to vote for it, and perhaps it needs to be taken down to half of that, while Bernie Sanders of Vermont, on the other hand, is saying uh, no way that that would be a huge disservice. Now, uh, Chuck, this business about taxes, President Biden did say he's not going to raise taxes for people who earn uh, less than 400000 I think that that is the, the cutoff. Tell us what is being proposed now in this legislation that the House is considering on taxes and, and what you think the implications are, Chuck. Yeah, Margaret, one way to think about it is we know that we're living in this period of extreme inequality, and people have proposed some pretty bold taxes like a wealth tax, uh, like an emergency pandemic tax on billionaires. Uh, Biden's, Biden's proposal is more moderate, but it's still really good. Uh, as you say, it's not going to raise taxes on anybody with income over, uh, under $400,000. Uh, and it does, you know, raise taxes. It, you know, he had a lot of bold proposals. He still has them to treat income from wealth, tax it at the same rate as, you know, income from work, treat capital gains the same. Uh, he has proposals to eliminate fossil fuel subsidies. So what's important to understand is the House Ways and Means Committee is sort of where the whole revenue process starts. And they've put forward a bill that kind of, while it has some good components, actually weakens and goes, you know, uh, you know, worse is worse than the Biden progressive tax proposal. So, for instance, it doesn't include an elimination of fossil fuel subsidies. It doesn't include a bunch of provisions that would actually tax the billionaire class. It, it does, you know, as your run-up said, it does raise the corporate tax rate a bit. It does raise capital gains tax a bit, but it leaves out a bunch of the most important provisions that would actually reduce inequality and make billionaires pay their fair share. Um, so here we are in this debate. Uh, where will the money come from? And the House's Ways and Means Tax Writing Committee has put the first ink on the, on the plan, and it's weaker, much weaker, in my opinion, than it should be. Right. And, and why do you think that is? I mean, even with uh, such a weak proposal, we know that the Poor People's Campaign that I'm a supporter of um, and um, a part of the coordinating group in California for it, they've been doing a lot of push against um, um, Manchin, who seems to be mucking up the works here. And he is making a strong pushback. I mean, he's even saying what you're described as a weaker program, much weaker than likely you and I would like it uh, in this legislation. But nevertheless, he's talking about maybe cutting that in half 
and raising the whole concern about inflation, you know, as we have to be so worried about inflation. That's uh, one issue. What are your thoughts on that? Well, just on the inflation thing, actually, uh, reports are that inflation has actually gone down in the last month. Um, and I think it will continue to go down. I think coming out of the pandemic, we had certain kinds of, we're still in it, obviously, but we had certain shortages, uh, you know, that drove up prices. Um, it, it's a canard, though. Uh, it's sort of a distraction. The reality is, uh, whether it's Senator Manchin or conservatives, there's, they just, there's things in this proposal spending that they don't like. They don't want to spend money on addressing climate change. They don't want to create uh, investments in childcare, um, and they'll say, well, there's not enough money. And I think the point to come back is there is plenty of money. And, uh, and we've put forward, you know, several trillion dollars of additional revenue raising, uh, if the tax authorities, if the tax writers, uh, support it. And the good news is the Senate and, uh, Senate finance chair, Ron Wyden, uh, really criticized this initial house build. He said, look, it, nothing should exempt the billionaires from paying their fair share. Um, so it's possible as it goes to the house floor that there'll be a mighty debate and house members will put forward more progressive revenue raisers, uh, things that you know eliminate some of the loopholes that the super rich have been using to avoid their taxes. Those are all still in play. And it's kind of up to us as listeners and the public to really pay attention at this moment let our because a lot of people aren't really paying attention to this conversation it's sort of up in the clouds but it really is the time to say we want these big investments this is our kind of one shot and the reason that's a one shot is because it all has to be loaded into a reconciliation bill that only needs 51 votes some people have disingenuously said well geez it's awfully big let's break it into pieces but that's actually not the way anything will happen in the current Congress, which has such a slim Democratic majority. So this really is a, a moment to be paying attention and to pushing and saying, we, we shouldn't exempt billionaires. They should pay, their, pay more taxes. They've had tremendous gains during the pandemic. Let's make sure they pay their fair share. And uh, for our listeners there in economics, inflation is a general rise in the price level of an economy over a period of time. And the common measure of inflation is the inflation rate, uh, the annualized percentage change in a general price index, usually the consumer uh, price index over time. And, you know, as you say, uh, Chuck, uh, and I also saw that inflation was actually going down, but this whole specter of inflation has been used politically uh, for decades now, it seems, and it seems as though it's being used right now uh, wrongfully to oppose, uh, you know, what is being put forward. The, the other thing, though, is that um, CNN is reporting, I think just yesterday, that Schumer, who is the Democratic leader in the Senate, he's not ruling out including a debt limit in this economic package. So it seems as though the package, though uh, um, weaker than we would like as it is, is still facing some horrendous hurdles 
in the Senate, but also in the House. I read that three uh, Democrats are now saying that they're not going to uh, vote for it because they're concerned about uh, what's what's in it having to do with um, trying to keep down drug prices, if you would believe this. So uh, your thoughts now, because people have to pay attention, uh, but we have to do a lot more because it seems to me as though, you know, this thing could be in trouble um, without push from the general public. Chuck. Yeah. yeah. You know, I mean, the corporate lobbyists are going crazy right now. And what they're looking for is one or two key people they can buy off, Joe Manchin being a good candidate for that. But, you know, here I'm sitting in Massachusetts uh, where, you know, uh, House Ways and Means Chairman Richie Neal, who really, you know, oversaw this package, we know that the lobbyists go straight to him to knock out the fossil, to keep, to protect the fossil fuel subsidies. Um, here's, you know, so we do have to shore up these wobbly Democrats. You know, one thing that's important to understand is these tax the wealthy proposals are incredibly popular. Uh, 70% of the public believes that, you know, and, and including Republicans and independents, believe that the rich have not paid their fair share. This is the time to rebalance the tax code. Um, and that, you know, we know that with such a, such a close margin that the lobbyists know they just need to pick off one or two uh, centrist senator, senators to sort of stall out the whole thing. So this is where the will of the people really has to be heard and weighed in. Uh, and I think that the next 10, you know, the next 10 days and the next couple of weeks are critical for people to hear that, hey, we want these big, bold investments. We want government to step up and build a green infrastructure, and it should be paid for by the people who have done financially quite well in the pandemic. They've seen their wealth accelerate during this appalling pandemic. Um, so this is the time to, you know, here we are, we're at the 10th anniversary of Occupy Wall Street this week, where we all talked about the 1% and the 99%. Well, this is the moment to make sure we tax not just the 1%, but the, the one-tenth of 1% who've seen the biggest wealth gains in our society. Chuck, we know as this legislation moves forward, there's there, as you said, the lobbyists are in action and compromises are likely going to be made uh, even before it leaves the House, much less um, when it, it leaves the Senate, because as you know, the votes are not there, uh, certainly on the, the Senate side, and hopefully there will be no more bleeding of Democrats in the House. But uh, one uh, huge... Um, so, so there's a lot of worry that what's going to stay in and what's going to left out. And I, I wanted your thoughts on this in relation to the child tax credit. Uh, Yahoo News, they're reporting that the child tax credit is popular. A Reuters Ipsos poll found that 59% of U.S. adults, including 75 of people who identified themselves as Democrats, and interestingly, 41% of people who identified as Republicans um, actually liked uh, the child uh, tax credit. And in this uh, bill, 
that is in the house right now there is um because the credit was supposed to end at the you know the end of this year and now it they're saying take it through 2025 there are a number of us including myself frankly that was disappointed that it wasn't made permanent um so the the worry then will be what who's going to get dropped in the compromise and and historically it has been the sectors who have a bit more power not much power but a bit more power than others for example the wage sector as opposed to unweight sector like unpaid caregivers etc so uh your thoughts on uh some of these big ticket items like the the child tax credit your comment on that but also uh your thoughts on the poverty measure because i know the poor people's campaign have been pushing and have been quite upset about the poverty measure that's being used now by the united states as being entirely inadequate uh chuck collins yeah you know i and i think that um the, the child tax credit is not only popular it is effective we are seeing poverty rates coming down uh, but, and the Poor People's Campaign is absolutely right. The, the measure that we use, this poverty line, uh, doesn't really show really that bottom 40% of households in the United States are living in a very, much more precarious condition uh, economically. But that's the good news about this child tax credit, too. It really helps uh, broadly, you know, millions and millions of families, not just those below the poverty line. So, you know, and the key is, you know, how are we going to continue it? How are we going to pay for it? And uh, this is, again, where we are in the mighty fight of our time. Um, some people would like to end that child tax credit, you know, and or, or trim it back and not and make it, you know, even shorter in terms of the time. And then we're going to have to constantly be fighting to defend it. So it is popular. It works politically. You know, it's vulnerable. And that's where, uh, you know, if we can say, look, let's raise the tax on capital gains, let's tax cap and the preference for income from wealth that our tax system taxes lower and fund something like dedicate that money to, you know, the, the, you know, and we can't technically dedicate it, but direct it toward things like extending and making permanent the child tax credit. Right there, you reduce the concentration of wealth and power that the billionaires have. And you lift up, you know, millions of families that live in a precarious situation. Uh, it's what we—it's exactly the kind of thing we want uh, a, 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 our government to do. Right. And uh, Chuck, looking at the time, you are going to have to leave it there. But for people who want to uh, follow your work and, and find out more about this fight that's going on, I mean, as weakened as this proposal is, some people are saying that it is the greatest overhaul of the safety net in the United States since the New Deal. Uh, so there seems to be a lot at stake there. There's a, a lot in it around climate. There's the child tax credit that's in it. There's raising wages uh, for home care workers that's in it and and uh, much more. So Chuck, what can people do to be, you know, to follow your work and uh, to be in touch with perhaps the Institute for Policy Studies, Chuck? Yeah, people should definitely check out our website, inequality.org and sign up for our newsletter, which will keep people engaged uh, in the campaigns. And I'll just mention another website that's very specific to this moment called taxbillionairesnow.org. 
uh, check that out, taxbillionairesnow.org, because that's really the campaign that we're in right now to um, make sure that this, these proposals don't, don't get further watered down. Right. How appropriate. And as you say, the 10th anniversary, I can't believe, Chuck, that it's been already 10 years that we were out there in Los Angeles down at City Hall and the movement that spread worldwide and uh, the impact of which continues uh, to be felt. So Chuck Collins, we're going to be following what's happening with Build Back Better uh, closely. We're always interested in, in someone being able to break down the economics side of it. So we thank you for joining us and we hope to have you back. Thank you. All righty. Uh, this Thanks, is Margaret. Margaret Press. Okay, this is Margaret Prescott, host of Sojourner Truth. We're going to take our station break now, and coming up, we'll have our weekly Earth Minute, and then, hey, uh, universal basic income, cash for each and every person uh, living in the United States. We'll find out more about this movement. And of course, um, Bill Gallegos will be here uh, giving us some analysis given the results of the recall uh, election of the governor of California that roundly failed. Stay with us, we'll be right back. Up this morning with my mind, state of freedom. That is the great freedom singers that came out of the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee. Uh, they were considered the shock troops of the civil rights movement and freedom singers. Incredible music with Woke Up This Morning. This is Margaret Prescott, host of Sojourner Truth. You can check out our website at www.sotrueradio.org. A lot of information on there, our community calendar, videos, other stories, and much more. Our handle on Instagram and Twitter, at Radio. If you're a member of Facebook, you can like and friend us on Facebook. And we are nationwide, and we're also worldwide on SoundCloud. And today, we'd like to give a shout-out to our SoundCloud listeners in Northern California, in Northern uh, California, um, our station, our sister station there, one of the, I think the only flagship station in the Pacifica Radio Network that doesn't carry Sojourner Truth. So we'd like to welcome our SoundCloud listeners in that area. And internationally, we would like to give a shout out to our SoundCloud listeners. We're going to go all the way over to East Africa, uh, to Kenya. And this is Margaret Prescott, host of Sojourner Truth. We're now going to go to our weekly Earth Minute. A new report from Global Witness found that 2020 was the deadliest year yet for land and environmental defenders. They point out that since they began analyzing data on these murders in 2012, evidence suggests that intensification of the climate crisis is escalating violence against those protecting their land and also our planet. They write, in 2020, we recorded 227 lethal attacks, an average of more than four people per week, making it the most dangerous year on record for people defending their homes, land and livelihoods, and ecosystems vital for biodiversity and the climate. 
Our figures are almost certainly an underestimate, with many attacks against defenders going unreported. As one example, in Nicaragua, Mayagna indigenous people in the resource-rich Bosolas rainforest have raised alarms about rising numbers of murders and attacks in their communities occurring with impunity, Nicaragua having the highest per capita rate of land defender killings. Global Witness concludes, It has become clear that the unaccountable exploitation and greed driving the climate crisis is also driving violence against land and environmental defenders. For the Earth Minute and the Sojourner Truth Show, this is Ann Peterman from Global Justice Ecology Project. Right, and this is Margaret Prescott. Now, across the United States, there are growing calls for a universal basic income or a guaranteed income to help meet the basic needs of impoverished and working families. These are calls which have been made for decades, including by campaigners for welfare rights and campaigners for a care income. And indeed, campaigners for a care income are are calling for a care income for those who care for people and the land on top of a basic income for all. Now, around 1920, support for basic income started growing, especially in the UK and England. Bertrand Russell, for example, argued for a new social model that combined the advantages of socialism and anarchism, and that basic income should be a vital component of that new society. Also, Dennis and Mabel Milner, Quaker married couple of the Labour Party there, campaigned for the introduction of an income paid unconditionally on a weekly basis to all citizens of the UK. Uh, Well, that didn't happen. Anyway, by the 1960s, the push for a basic income and also an income for unwaged caregivers began to take off. In 1963, Johnny Tillman founded ANC Aid to Needy Children Mothers Anonymous out of Watts, uh, which was one of the first grassroots welfare mothers organization. And now Johnny Tillman uh, later became one of the presidents of the National Welfare Rights Organization, which had been on the front lines of um, fighting for an income, for money, uh, for mothers who were taking care of their children at home, for impoverished uh, mothers. And indeed, uh, Johnny Tillman called uh, for a living wage uh, for the work women were already doing, uh, taking care of children, and said that housewives would also benefit uh, from that call. Now, um, already the fight to welfare was taken away uh, by President Clinton's 1996 welfare reform bill. That right to welfare was replaced with temporary assistance for needy families. Meanwhile, Selma James, a founder and coordinator of the the Wages for Housework uh, campaign, um, had been putting forward uh, Wages for Housework uh, internationally with that movement in in the global north, in the UK, Ireland also, in the UK and parts of the global south. So there's been a lot of um, work going on on the people being paid direct cash. 
Uh, now, since Clinton's welfare reform, um, which many describe as a forced work program, welfare roles have dramatically dropped while extreme poverty has increased. And single mothers and their children are among the fastest growing population among the homeless and women in particular mothers are the fastest growing population of people uh, going to prison. However, there's a new growing grassroots movement of tenants, of unwaged caregivers, low-wage workers fighting back uh, for both a basic income, for a care income, and for welfare rights. Let us go to a clip now where you hear um, Michael Tubbs, who is founder of Mayors for a Guaranteed Income, and uh, Governor Newsom's uh, special advisor for economic mobility and opportunity. He was the former mayor of Stockton, California. Let's go to that clip now. California lawmakers this week approved the first state-funded guaranteed income plan in the U.S., $35 million for monthly cash payments to qualifying adults. And get this, no restrictions on how they spend the money. The vote showed bipartisan support for an idea that is gaining momentum across the country. Joining me now is Michael Tubbs, California governor's special advisor for economic mobility and opportunity, also the former mayor of Stockton, California, and the founder of Mayors for Guaranteed Income. Michael, it's great to see you again. Thanks for being with us. For those who don't know, you were a trailblazer uh, when you instituted a guaranteed income program as mayor of Stockton. I know California's plan is going to be taxpayer funded. Tell us how it's going to work and, and who qualifies. Yeah, well, first, let me just say thank you so much for having me. And yesterday was a big day for guaranteed income because not just this California allocation, but the child tax credit, which is essentially a guaranteed income for families with children, started yesterday. In California, under the leadership of Governor Newsom and the Assembly, the in the Senate, the legislature came together and said, you know what, there's all types of pilots happening throughout the state and in counties and in cities and in nonprofits, and that the state wanted to signal that it's important that the state also invest in these programs. So essentially, the $35 million will be a pool of money that mayors and counties can draw from as they begin to do their own pilot programs, with the priority from the legislature being those programs that, that serve pregnant people and also foster youth. You know, I don't have to tell you that typically these government assistance programs come with a hitch. They usually have, um, you know, outlines on what it is you can spend this money for, and they're very specific. It can only be used for housing. It can only be used for food. This money can be used without restrictions. And there are some people who say they're worried about that. You want to make sure this money is not going toward things that are bad, like alcohol and cigarettes and lottery tickets. Why was not having any restrictions on the way the money can be spent? Racist tropes of paternalism in terms of our policymaking process. And the notion is simple, that if we can trust people to make the right decisions for themselves and their families. And what we saw in Stockton, where we actually gave $1,000 a month to families when I was mayor, was that less than 1% of the money was spent on drugs or alcohol or, or, or building private aircrafts to go into space. Instead, people spent the money on food, on necessities. And we saw the same thing with stimulus checks. When the government gave one-time payments to people during this pandemic, we saw people spent the money on food, on their children, on being able to take days off so they could go get vaccinated. And I'm excited that the state of California sees the wisdom of such an approach and understands that the best investment we can make 
is run directly in our people because when we give money to rich people through tax cuts and corporate loopholes, no one audits that money. And I would, I would wager or bet that more of that money is spent on drugs and alcohol and open bars than the $500 a month we're sending the folks um, through guaranteed income programs. All righty, and that report uh, from interview was done for uh, Yahoo uh, Finance. I'd now like to welcome our guest, John Ma, who is a member and organizer of Ground Game LA, a horizontally managed grassroots group, uh, building community and electoral power in Los Angeles. John, thank you for joining us. Good morning, Margaret. It's so great to be with you. Oh, right. Okay. Uh, John, let's start with just some basics because just to understand when we talk about a guaranteed income or, you know, this event, I also want to talk about that's coming up uh, in Southern California, but across the nation and the world this coming Saturday, we'll get to talk a little bit about that. But people talk about a UBI, a universal basic income. They just, uh, a short is just a basic income, and then there's a guaranteed income. But actually what the welfare rights uh, movement, they were demanding uh, back in the day, starting out with Johnny Tillman, et cetera, was a guaranteed adequate uh, income. And also they were actually calling for a care income, although they didn't call it that, but Tillman definitely said that uh, mothers should get this money. And then in 1977, at the first congressionally mandated conference on women in Houston, a resolution was passed that was supposed to go to Congress and the president for implementation, but that didn't happen. That said that welfare um, should have the dignity of being called a wage and recognition for the work that, that mothers do. So explain to us, is there a difference between, let's just start with the guaranteed income and the basic income. Is it the same thing? You know, these terms are being used these days, and they're almost interchangeable. Um, I would say that the major idea here is we're starting from the understanding that everybody deserves a living wage. And that wage is maybe something that you're paid because you're working in a traditional employment situation or simply because you exist on this earth and are contributing to society, right? What we call unpaid caregivers, the folks that are out there doing the work that holds us together, that is the basic glue of the nurturing work, the guidance and mentoring work that mothers are doing, that fathers are doing, that extended family members are doing, that people in the community are doing, that work needs to be honored, right? These are trillions of dollars of economic value that are going unrecognized. So whether it's a guaranteed income or a basic income, what we're talking about is providing basic sustenance and beyond so that people can do what they're called to do, what their circumstances dictate that they must be doing, and to be able to have the dignity to complete those, those actions and to live that life without any sort of sense of I'm giving up, I'm sacrificing to do something that is perhaps undervalued simply because we don't put a dollar figure against it. When we really know that it's the most valuable work that exists on this planet. The term basic refers to a basic living wage that is sustainable, that can keep you housed, keep you fed, and have a future for the people in your family that depend on that wage, and guaranteed, meaning that it's guaranteed that it's something that you can depend on, that it's scheduled, you know it's going to be there next month, you know it's going to be there two months from now, you don't have to fret about it. Right, and we're going to have to spend a, a lot more time on this show dis discussing this, but uh, John, I do want you to talk about what is going on this Saturday, because this movement is not only a movement in California, there you heard 
um, uh, Michael uh, Tubbs uh, talking about what was going on in California, but they're pilot programs that are popping up uh, not only in Southern California, but across the country, but also in other countries, in, in Canada and in, in Europe and various places. So tell us about what the movement for cash for people is how I would put it. Um, what's happening this Saturday and how can people get involved, be, become involved? Absolutely. This is super exciting. And I will say we got another week and a half. It's the next Saturday, not this coming, but the next Saturday, September 25th. Right. I'm, a, and I'm ahead of myself. Is, right. Yes, we're all getting so ramped up for this one. And it's going to be great. It's called the Basic Income March. It's the third annual worldwide. We're in 30 different cities across 10 different countries. Here in California, there are three going on. The one in Southern California here in Los Angeles, or actually there are two in Southern California, but the one here in Los Angeles is going to be held in MacArthur Park over at, um, you know, just, just near downtown here in LA City. And the reason that we're doing this event is because we are building power here locally to try to build a coalition across all the different groups that you named, tenant organizations, low-wage workers, unpaid caregivers, as well as the middle class, as well as those folks who are wealthier and understand that their wealth didn't come from simply hard work and all these you know, tropes, but actually there's a system in place that has enriched them that hasn't been able to, quote, trickle down and really hasn't directed the capital flow in a way that benefits people that are working just as hard or harder than they are, right? Let's be honest. And so the actual benefit here is how can we grow together this movement to push for specific universal programs in the county? We, know we are the largest county in the country. We have a tremendous amount of money, a tremendous amount of people in this county, paying taxes, building up economic um, alleviation for, for, other, for families. And what we need to do is take this energy that we have here in LA County, because Margaret, let me tell you, the guaranteed income movement, it's worldwide and it's concentrated very heavily right now in a couple local places, right? We saw Mayor Tubbs blow the doors wide open with his Stockton pilot. People took notice. Politicians up and down both coasts across the country saw this, right? And we are seeing right now in L.A. the same thing happening. People like Supervisor Holly Mitchell is taking leadership on this. Our former mayor, Eric Garcetti, took a stand on this. Council members in the city took a stand on this. Surprising to many of us who are involved in local politics to see our politicians stand up so quickly. But because perhaps for the simple reason that the pilot in Stockton worked, people started to see and get excited about this. So what we're seeing right now is elected officials rushing to the finish line of where Meyer Tubbs has been standing and where Stockton's been standing and saying, we want to do the same thing. So what we ended up with is right. throw every superlative in the book, the largest number of pilots happening in municipalities, right? We have Compton, West Hollywood, Santa Monica, LA City, LA County. LA County's pilot's going to be the biggest in the country. Altogether in LA County, all those municipalities and the county pilot itself, numbering over 4,000 people. LA City is going to be serving over 3,000 on its own, $1,000 a month for a year. LA County is doing $1,000 a month for a year for three years, right? We're talking about hundreds of millions of dollars coming together to, to put these pilots into action. 
And what we're excited about now and John, is that John, tell us, because we are going to have to move on to the, the recall election, how can people uh, get involved? This event is actually the, the sep Saturday, September 25th. I was ahead of myself. I wanted to make sure our listeners knew about it in time in case they wanted to volunteer, uh, get involved yeah. um, in, in some way with this movement. Uh, tell us what they should do before we have to leave it there, John Ma. Yes, folks, come out to MacArthur Park. We've got to push our electeds beyond the pilot stage to do a true universal allowance, something for kids, something for infants. We can do it. We can fund it. So come out, see the speeches, participate in the community. You're going to meet a bunch of different organizers coming out to build this power. We have amazing community services happening for people who need the child tax credit to get signed up. So come out if you need support with that. Come out if you need grocery giveaways. If you need any of these basic services or know people who do, have them come out to show that solidarity. September 25th from 12 to 3. Check out bit. Okay, but John, we'll try to do a little. Sorry, say that again. Yes, bit.ly slash rally, the number 4, BI 2021, or simply follow us at LA underscore basic income at LA underscore basic right, income. We'll, you'll find the information on our Instagram. We'll also um, post that information on the Sojourner Truth social media. Uh, John Mann, we'll do a, a quick reminder next week in the lead up uh, to the 25th of this important event. Thank you for your work and thank you for joining us, John Ma. Thank you, Margaret. All right, John Ma with um, Ground Game LA. Now, uh, likely all of you all heard the results of the election. Uh, Gavin Newsom successfully resisted an attempt by the GOP to recall him from that office. Let's hear what he had to say, and then the, um, his opponent, Larry Elder, what he had to say, and then we'll have our guest, Bill Gallegos, comment. Here's a uh, we enjoying an overwhelmingly uh, no vote tonight here in the state of California. Uh, but no is not the only thing that was expressed tonight. Uh, I want to focus on what we said yes to as a state. We said yes to science. We said yes to vaccines. We said yes to ending this pandemic. We said yes to people's right to vote without fear of fake fraud or voter suppression. We said yes to women's fundamental constitutional right to decide for herself what she does with her body and her fate and future. We said yes to diversity. We said yes to inclusion. And I think about just in the last few days, the former president put out saying this election was rigged. Democracy is not a football. You don't throw it around. More like a, I don't know, antique base. You <laughs> drop it, smashing in a million different pieces, and, and that's what we're capable of doing if we don't stand up to meet the moment and push back. Tonight, I'm humble, grateful, but resolved in the spirit of my political hero, Robert Kennedy, to make more gentle the life of this world. Thank you all very much, and thank you to 40 million Americans, 40 million Californians. Thank you for rejecting this. As you know, my opponent, Governor Gavin Newsom. Come on. Let's, let's, 
let's be gracious. Let's be gracious in defeat. And by the way, we may have lost the, the battle, but we are going to win the war. Notice that all these people, whether Barack Obama or Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders, all of whom cut a commercial for Gavin Newsom, notice they never said the following words. Gavin Newsom has a, done a good job for the people of California. It's a Republican takeover. White supremacists, say hello to the black face of white supremacy. Hey. Don't laugh, don't laugh. I worked hard for that title. He worked hard for that title. Oh my God. Um, I'd like to welcome Bill Gallegos, longtime Chicano liberation and environmental uh, justice activist. Bill, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Margaret. <laughs> well, he admitted it himself, right? I mean, Black Lives Matter did say that um, he supports white supremacist policies in a lot of ways. He's to the right of uh, of Donald Trump. So I guess that is a, a new level of political sophistication to understand that somebody could look like me or Larry Elder of African descent or be brown and be a white supremacist. But Bill Gallegos, your analysis of this, what does this uh, victory mean, not only in California, but uh, moving forward? Just go for it and give us your analysis of the whole thing. Well, Margaret, I think it, it uh, represents, again, the potential power of the new majority in California. So this, Gavin Newsom uh, retained his office because of the votes primarily of voters of color and younger progressive white voters. This is extremely important. It's a, an extremely important united front that should be looking to the future and the kind of policies that we want this governor, this legislature, and this state to adopt. Medicare for all, a, a really robust anti-poverty program, cutting down our prison system and reinvesting those resources in a jobs program, to build the housing that we need, the affordable housing that we need, to create the uh, educational infrastructure that we need, to, tr to fund our schools at the level where we can have class sizes of 20. So I think there's a lot that uh, was at stake in this election, obviously, and it was an overwhelming defeat for this new Confederate right led by Larry Elder in California. And they won't go away. I think we should assume that they will change their tactics to focus more on local elections and recalls. But this is, uh, this is something that we should keep our eye on and re recognize that it's not important just to defeat them, but they must be overwhelmingly rejected. But I think now is the time for folks in our communities, the Black, Brown, API, and Indigenous communities and our progressive white allies, to look at the agenda that we need for California because that agenda is not represented sufficiently by Gavin Newsom. It's important that we rejected this recall, but there's a long way to go towards addressing the fact that California has the highest poverty rate in the country, even though we're the fifth largest economy. That is unconscionable. That's appalling. And now we have a chance because of the power that we have demonstrated in this election to really come together and advance a truly progressive and necessary agenda.
Right. And and what about the the national implications? Because, uh, you know, the midterms are coming up um, just uh, about a week or and a half ago or so. We saw uh, Biden uh, slipping in the polls as people become more concerned about the Delta variant. And one has to wonder if what happened in California, because here you had a candidate so tied to Trump, and we know that uh, Trump basically owns the Republican Party right now. I mean, that's just the reality of it. And in fact, a bunch of them are planning on showing up this coming Saturday, the 18th, in Washington, D.C., to free the quote-unquote political prisoners, the ones who um, were part of the insurrection of uh, January 6th. So it's a, a very dangerous and a very divided time. So do you think the California result, what lessons do you think that holds for um, the midterm elections uh, 2022 and what folks need to be paying attention to? Bill Gallegos. Well, I think, there's, I think there's a couple of things. I think, one, this should be seen as a support for the progressive wing, the emerging progressive wing of the Democratic Party. So they should take heart from these results and double down on their efforts inside, for example, on the infrastructure bill, on voting rights, so this should be seen as a signal to them that their politics have tremendous public support. The second thing is for the Democratic Party leadership, they have to look at California and say they've got to double down for the 2022 elections and 2024 elections on really reaching out, engaging, and supporting the agenda of communities of color and, the, and our white allies that have supported that agenda on climate change, on economic inequality, on voting rights, on women's rights. So this is the chance, this is the opportunity they have now to really uh, put the resources. They put $70 million into defeating this recall. Well, they need to be looking at Texas. They need to be looking at Louisiana. They need to be looking at Mississippi and Arizona and these areas where um, there is an emerging majority of people of color and really understand that this is where they need to double down on their resources. Georgia is an important one. So I think this is the lesson that they need to learn, is that the idea of just going after the soccer moms, well, that's important, is not enough. You know, just going after the uh, conservative Democrats, well, that's important, is not enough. They've really got to go after this emerging new majority. And really, not that doesn't just mean get out to get our votes. It means supporting our agenda. Right. Give people something to come out and vote for. We, we just have a, about a minute or so. But, uh, Bill, you know, it used to be said it's the economy stupid. And now people are saying, well, it's COVID stupid. I mean, Newsom did not seem to lose anything because of, uh, you know, the stance that he has taken in terms of, of COVID protections. And, of course, L.A. Unified School District taking the position of, of mandating uh, vaccines, et cetera. So, uh, your, your thoughts on, on this, because, you know, things are spiking and this has still become such a cultural uh, fight now around COVID uh, protections. But California, um, to its credit, did jump out early and still with the danger of the recall election, uh, the governor still came out strongly for COVID protections. Uh, quick comment, Bill Gallegos. Well, you know, clearly the pandemic hasn't got, gone away here in California or nationally. And as um, your listeners know, the harshest burden of that, the suffering and the deaths have fallen hardest on black and brown communities. And that hasn't changed. 
So the governor and the legislature need to look at this and think about enhancing the policies that they have now. So I think I, I kudos to the United Teachers of Los Angeles and the LA Unified School District for really saying that the lives of our children, the lives of our teachers, the lives of our communities come first. That's the first thing that we need is to safeguard the health of our children so that they can learn. And I think that has to be the signal for California as a whole.